Genius, it takes a lot to get on my show. Genius, you're probably someone we'd like to know. You're really good at stuff, you probably like to dance. You like long walks and you wear clean pants. Genius, get onto my show. Howdy, folks. Welcome to Living with a Genius. I'm your host, Omar Crook. On this episode, I have part two of my two-part interview with composer John Powell. I really like John, and uh, he's, a, he's a friend of mine, and he is uh, so smart and so kind and uh, just a really a wonderful person. And I hope you listened to the first episode. If you like that one, uh, I think you're going to like this one even more. Uh, I do. I, you know, I settle down a little bit, and we get a little bit more comfortable, and the conversation is, I think, really interesting. So I hope you enjoy it. I want to thank you for listening. Here is composer John Powell. Well, let me back up even further. When did you start composing? When did you go from playing to composing? The uh, first thing I ever composed was um, uh, when I first got the violin. Okay. So I, I learned, I learned, as I started to learn the violin, I remember writing a piece called Static Dance, mm -hmm. oh. which was something to do with me having static electricity explained to me and all my... Oh, sure. Sort of bizarre idea of what it was, sure. and, and it used a lot of open strings, I must admit. But I also had to have probably heard "Hoedown" by Copeland sure. at that point, and loved, love. I will still do love that piece. I do too. And uh, so I was really into kind of trying to find a way of recreating that Americana. I think <laughs> I was purely, you know, enjoying music, but undoubtedly just destined for Hollywood at some point, you know. So. That was my question. So <laughs> at that point when you started composing, did you have ideas of composing symphonic music, orchestral music, or were you thinking about commercial music at a very early age? I, I was only thinking about commercial music from the point of view that I was watching The Magnificent Seven right. and thinking, that is a fantastic music, and it reminds me of the Copeland. I love the Copeland. Who is that, Elmer Bernstein? Elmer Bernstein, yeah, yes. Yeah. Um, and then West Side Story. Sure. Not a score, and that's a dangerous point, really. The emotional, to, yeah. But the emotional, impact. yeah, and the and the literally the notes. I mean, I Bernstein is actually all both Bernsteins yeah. <laughs> have always been those kind of composers where, like Brahms, you just you go from one note to the next and it's right. Mm -hmm. Some composers don't do that for me, right? But you know, there's always the and and very rarely are there composers that do that always. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. I love Britain, but there's still some pieces that I listen to, and I'm I'm not sure about. Right. Um, I love Vaughan Williams. I I don't think I've actually found anything of his that I don't like. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I feel that way about Dvorak too. Really? Yeah, yeah. I do. I I love it. It's yes. I mean, doesn't speak to you? Oh God, yes, yeah. absolutely. Are you yeah. kidding? You know, I mean, but I, you know, the the thing is, there's so much music, and and right. I've never really kind of. There's a very few composers I've really uh, heard everything of. I'm sure. Same with you know. me. Yeah. yeah it's yeah. very hard to perhaps, but again, the ADD kicks in. So yeah, you know, you kind of get the idea of a composer, and you love it, but then you're thinking, well, what else? Yeah. Yeah. There must be other people out there that yeah, yeah, that do great things. And so, uh, I knowing from talking to you in the past, w w your first commercial work was in Jingles, yeah. Yes. And yeah. was that a matter of opportunity? Yes. Strictly. Strictly. It's yes. It's not that you were. Yeah. Uh, and then from that point on, did you just think, oh, this is what I, this is the kind of work I want to do in music? Or no. was it just a stopover at the time? W what happened was I, stop I came I mean. out of music college four years studying composition at, at, uh, at 
the, the fancy way of saying one of the conservatoires in London, yes. but the, the non-fancy way and more realistic way of saying it, Trinity College of Music, which is a very good college, and was mm -hmm. perfect for me because mm -hmm. they had an electronic studio. They had great teachers that were just wide open. Nice. No, I was not being forced down any particular kind of route. So I just took every opportunity I could to run with anything that I could. Mm -hmm. And and they were, they were. That's what they wanted from us. Because mm -hmm. so it was really progressive. At yeah, the time. Very, yeah, yeah. There was only one or two places a year, mm -hmm. you know. So there was very few of us doing it. But you had all these other students there who were, who would kindly, you know, and you and certain ones wouldn't. But you could always see the ones that. It's funny. All the ones that we used to work with are the ones who've gone on to do sessions and things like that. They're because they they were interested in collaborating. Yeah. At the time. Yeah. And that's another question I have yeah, for you about and, and that's yeah. that's that's very clear when you look at a college, probably a, a, you know, university situations. The people who are finding ways of of doing interesting things in the subject they're interested in are probably going to, you know, be more successful yeah. at it. Yeah, yeah. You know, the people who have just defined their college life as this is what I have to do to get through the course. I'm sure it'll help them, but it's sure. not really. It's not really it's what they want to building. do. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. I just went to college and I just had a fantastic time, and because you could have a rehearsal room, and you had they percussion had instruments, yeah. yeah, and you had the time, and right. you had people saying, "Okay, write something." Let's try this. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I lo I loved college, and I came out of it, you know, disappointed that I couldn't carry on really, but knowing that I was excited to get onto the next part. So I went to work in a studio mm -hmm. as a tape op. Because mm -hmm. uh, I needed to know a lot more stuff, and I spent about six about the technical aspect yeah. of making music. Uh -huh. And I spent a very interesting sort of six months at Air Studios in uh, in Oxford Street. Sure, I was there uh, with some amazing engineers, uh, some great artists. And you worked with people coming in and out. Yeah, just making them tea or yeah. or working the tape machine. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, I remember spending two nights working the tape machine for uh, Ricky Lee Jones, who oh. I loved. Yeah, and I still do to this day. Yeah, and it was intensely complex she was layering the shit out of really? that thing yeah everything like that and thank god I studied Bartok because I <laughs> it's not that she sounded like Bartok yeah yeah and I'd studied Bartok and I knew her stuff she wasn't joking she wasn't joking yeah. and I could get that tape machine around ready for her you know like wow that. and so the, those are the these experiences that you come out and then you think okay but at the end of six months I realized I knew what I needed to know from that particular situation, mm -hmm. which is not to say I knew everything. I certainly mm -hmm. didn't know everything. <laughs> I wasn't, but I wasn't going to be an engineer. I wasn't right. going to be. I wasn't interested enough in everything about being in a studio. But mm -hmm. I'd attained some enough some to talk to engineers about it. Yes, to, yeah. to and I still have a love of of the in, you know might have a great love of in, the interest of pursuing sound. Mm -hmm. So I did that, and then it's that thing of God. How the hell am I going to? pay the rent you know and mm -hmm. so my friend Gavin Greenaway uh, his father um, was part of um, an advertising company called Aerodale mm -hmm. and uh, Gavin suggested I and, and Roger suggested I just went along and oh, and at the time Gavin and I were trying to produce bands mm -hmm. we were trying to be producers and why do I know his name he's, uh, uh, he's a conductor that's uh -huh. done lots of things for me mm -hmm. and uh, here and he's a, he's actually a much better composer than me but he was um, he wasn't that interested in doing film. So. Interesting. <laughs> That's the thing is that, you know, you have to align the things you're interested in with your right. abilities, you know, and right. his abilities are vast. But he didn't have enough of an interest in kind of dealing with the, you know, the 
the minutia of, of the pol- politics. The, I see. You know the the bullshit sometimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, um, just to get to write. Yeah. But maybe I'm, you know, I, I've always found that to be sometimes very interesting. You know. Yeah. How do you deal with that? How do you go from being purely uh, lizard brain and exercising that part of your intellect and composing, and then having to deal with uh, you know very real world banal frustrating parts of negotiating and um, making the deal do you did you when you started did you make your own deals or well, did you have help do, or how does when that work? I was work? doing adverts uh, to begin with I was part of an organization you know Aerodel but then Gavin and I started our own company and then mm-hmm. that's the point at which yeah I had to learn a bit more about business mm-hmm. um, but and who did you learn that from well did you, you have a mentor it, uh, well yes I mean you know Maggie Rodford at Aerodel, you know, was the first person to sort of really show me through as, mm-hmm. you know, being part of an organization like that. You get shown through, <laughs> you know, how the business works. And once mm-hmm. you understand how the business works, mm-hmm. I mean, negotiation is just knowledge, that's all. If you have no knowledge, that it's very hard. disadvantage, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. so you, if you have some knowledge, then you just need a lot of bullshit, mm-hmm. a lot of nerve. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you have plenty of knowledge, then you can be fair and every, everybody... It works. You mm-hmm. know. So, uh, just being sensible about it and understanding where the value of certain things are. Mm-hmm. The, you know, the value of the music, the value of the job. F- you know, the value of um, taking a hit in certain ways for exposure. All mm-hmm. those kind of things that you mm-hmm. know anybody I think that has to make music as a commercial endeavor. Mm-hmm. You know, trying to trying to make a living at music is 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 a different side of your personality. Right. And some people don't want to deal with that. Some people are brilliant at it. Right. Um, but it's got to be there if you want to make a living at it. However, you don't have to do that. You can you can make the greatest music on earth mm-hmm. without ever, ever having to make a dime from it. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, depending on where you are and what the, you know, I mean, I, re- I grew up in a time when everybody, thanks to Vaughan Williams, re- Williams really had a, an incredible choir in every town in England right. that would sing you know everything Anything. from Misa Solemnis to, you know, African Sanctus. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the mm-hmm. th- from the 60s, 70s. You know, these were mm-hmm. kind of pieces that were being performed all over the country. Wow, constantly. Um, Do and you think that's on the wane? That type of uh, oh, I don't know vocal participation in England. I don't know because they're I, really famous for it. Yes, I haven't been there for 20 years. Really, mm-hmm. I mean, I've lived here for 20 years, so I'm not really aware of it anymore. But I hope it's still there. Mm-hmm. I think that was a wonderful. A wonderful tradition. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, when you moved from, so you were, were you composing jingles while you were in college? No. Oh, so after no. that, so you graduated and you started really figuring out how to make a living. Yes. Yes. And you got into the jingle business. And then at what was there a what was the day that that changed where you started getting into? I don't know. Was it television or music uh, or, or um, film? Well, I, you know, you. How was I, that evolution? I, how did that evolve? I, I do remember that you know even the first gig that I got to do a demo for, mm-hmm. I don't know, Auto Trader magazine or something mm-hmm. like this. Oh, it wasn't until you moved to? No, no, this was this was in England. Oh, it was, in I England. see. So I would have been, what, 23, 24. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, the first time you do something, and if you look back on it, it's just, it's, it's rubbish, it's, it doesn't matter, but at the time, just doing music for somebody that was gonna pay you for, <laughs> for yeah. it, yeah, <laughs> became yeah. very interesting because it, it it had stakes, 
Right. You know, getting it right and getting what they needed. And getting the validation from yeah. that. Yeah. And getting it in, and doing it in time and doing it the right way. Right. Because it, it is very validating, I think. And yeah. that's a bit sad because, you know, well, you should really just do it for the, for the sake of it. But We're I, not all super superhuman. I mean, yeah. You know. I, I mean, I really got into doing adverts as well because Gavin and I were working in a performance art group and we were doing music with a, an artist for installation pieces. Mm -hmm. And, and um, I heard Stephen Burkhoff talking on the radio one day about how he put his plays on himself by mm -hmm. going to Hollywood for six months and playing a heavy in various films. He'd been in Bond films and all sorts. Yeah. He's a brilliant actor. And uh, and then he'd come back to Ling London and he'd put on his own plays. And use that money to do it. Yeah, absolutely. It. Mm. And I remember thinking, that's smart. That's the slight libertarian in me, rather than waiting for the kind of the state mm -hmm. to pay for everything, you know, mm -hmm. or having to justify yourself to, to, to people. Mm -hmm. I just wanted to move forward uh, and and do it. Yeah. So it was an impatience. So I just thought, well, if we do some adverts, that will pay for some things. Some other projects, yeah. yeah. And it will pay for gear that we can use to make the projects better. And mm -hmm. so it, it kind of it went from there. And uh, I just liked doing them simply because it was a, each one was a challenge. And I'd like jingles or adverts, ad yeah. advertising music, because you never knew quite what you were going to be asked to do. I mean, one day I was very diverse. Right. One day it was it was like, okay, you need to sound like De La Soul. And the next day it was like, okay, we want a Greek track you know uh -huh. and so i found that fascinating that's that, interesting that's the um, the master of none side of me that's great training for know. what you're doing now though oh yeah absolutely i mean yeah. it's amazing and then what was the what was the day that you decided tell me about the day you decided to move to california well i, I had you saved hands. up enough money uh yeah uh, was, through this jingle thing to, yes, to fund very, yourself to go yes absolutely Do, yeah. doing very well yeah. and i I'd worked with Hans one Christmas when he was doing a rescore of a film in, in London. In London, yeah, mm -hmm. and he had ten days to rewrite a score. So I got pulled in to help. Um, was this while you were at Air or after? Yeah, I was. You uh, were at Air. Well, not at Air Studios, at Air Adele. So I was, uh -huh, I was, I was I doing adverts and things, and mm -hmm. and I met up with him, and he was wonderful, and uh, and he liked me because I was a bit. I was the most techy person at mm -hmm. the at, at that group of composers. Mm -hmm. And um, so I, I, and I also worked my ass off right over Christmas, mm -hmm. you know, including Christmas Day, and that's the sort of thing that Hans likes. He, he likes <laughs> he likes spotting somebody that doesn't is just gonna right selfishly a killer is, yeah yeah gonna give up everything, <laughs> yeah. everything and I'd I'd work in the day and I'd work half the night and you know for ten days in a row including Christmas Day and and so you look at those moments and you say uh, did I do it to just because I was trying to impress him but I don't think I was I think I was just doing it because it's what we needed to do yeah and so I, I think he appreciated that so it started a bit of a relationship there mm -hmm. um, and then I'd come and see him every now and again and I remember when they were doing Lion King they were doing some sessions in London with vocals and uh, so I got hired you know to be there with a load of gear in case they needed to redo tracks and things mm -hmm. I don't think I did anything but I was there mm -hmm. with a pile of gear yeah um, and so I got to experience quite a few things with hands, and then, and he, I remember him saying to me, um, "You know, well, you should come to L.A. because, you know, we've got all these films coming in. There's like this film called The Rock, uh -huh. and you know, and we, we, you know, we need to all hands on, you know, we've yeah, it's a big all deal. This stuff yeah. coming, mm -hmm. you know, and but I didn't. First of all, I, I, I didn't feel ready. So it was about nine months or a year before I did eventually come. Why and didn't you feel ready? Um, I didn't want to walk in there and be a T-boy again. 
yeah. sort of thing. I wanted to yeah. be, I wanted to have my, my chops up. And that also we were working on an opera, a small chamber opera, mm -hmm. uh, with the artist, uh, Michael Petrie and Gavin and I. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and I think doing that came to, brought me to a head where I said, ah, oh, yes, there's a bit more to life than jingles. And I need to, maybe now is time to go. And so I just came over here and I assumed that I would have no work uh, but I took a place on Venice Beach looking over the sunset. Were you single at the time? No. You no, were with Melinda? No, yeah, yeah. I brought and Melinda. you both came? Yeah. And mm -hmm. in fact, I, t I totally took a, I took a place that was 10 times more expensive than my budget. Uh, really. Purpose, purposely or? Totally to purposefully. It seemed, I'd looked, I'd looked for a place, I was had one week in LA to find a place. Yeah. And I'd looked at all these places that were on budget everywhere and um, and I was just driving down Speedway, if you you know, no, right by Oceanfront Walk in, yeah. in Venice, and uh, I saw this sign which said, you know, uh, loft apartment for rent. And so I organised and I went in there, and it was this giant space. Yeah. And it was ten times more. And uh, and I but I looked at it and I thought, this is. If I'm going to come here, I might as well do this properly. What did Melinda say? Was she on board? She wasn't there. <laughs> she didn't know. You know, she didn't know. And I, I think that was the other thing. Is yeah. I looked at that place and I thought, this will be funny when she comes and sees this. Yeah, yeah. And and it, I I probably also thought she's more likely to stay here because all the other places, which were fine ap apartments, sure. I knew she would be like kind of. It wasn't the archetypal California dream, though. No. Yeah. And this was this yeah. place was. Yeah. You know, it, it, it was a single large loft. It's, yeah. The bedroom was on wheels and it moved from the front to the back and it, it was a complete. It was ultimate bullshit place. And um, it seemed so so Hollywood. Yeah. I thought this is a sign, so I took it. I uh, blew a load of money on it, but I thought, well, damn it, I can afford to even have a year just looking over the sunsets. And right. And I, I yeah. came at you know the end of the, you know over winter, you have these very wonderful sunsets. Yeah. Uh, with the smog going out to sea, and it gets lovely and red. That's and right. The s and the sun had moved because of the winter, right? Right. It's what you see in pictures, yeah. really. I mean, it Absolutely. really is what yeah. you hope. LA is. Yes, and I, so I, I was living the dream. Yeah. I was still doing adverts mm -hmm. um, in France. I was doing a lot of France over the internet. It was the, fortunately, you know, we had ISDN lines by then. I'd received films overnight. Wow. Uh, and I'd been doing that from London. So it was a confluence of yeah. circumstance that yeah. really so facilitated the whole thing. Absolutely. Yeah. And I had a lovely time for about a year, and then, uh, and then hands started to And you didn't have a thing work. with hands when you came out? No, not really. I mean, it had been a while since I'd last seen him. He'd Last time I'd seen him, he said, you should come out. And then I hadn't seen him for a while. Right. And then I did come out. And I, I said, hi, I'm here. And you definitely had that look <laughs> on his face, which was, who the fuck are you? And, uh, but he was wonderful. And, and he, he, um, he set me to work on a variety of really interesting things. And actually, that was when I started working with DreamWorks uh -huh. uh, and Jeffrey. So I, I kind of got thrown into doing you know, arrangements and helping out on the songs for Prince of Egypt. And there I was with Jeffrey and... Almost overnight. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah. And, uh, you know. Not overnight. I mean, obviously your life had led up to this. But that's, this is something, as soon as I said that, I said, this is some bullshit that people say that I can't stand. Overnight. Yeah, well, it, just happened. It, it's, it's not, not really. It's I a mean, long series of overnights. You did. Yeah. Yeah. I think. Uh, every, every st doing my first jingle for 350 quid for mm -hmm. a, a magazine about cars mm -hmm. that went out in the south of England only. Right. Local TV. Right. That was an overnight. Yeah. For me, that was the difference between... It's 20 years of overnight success. Yeah, having never done anything, then you did it, and they like it, mm -hmm. and then they send you the check. Mm -hmm. that, was a, that was a very fulfilling moment. Mm -hmm. You look back on it, you think, 
God, you know, it's kind of a bit crap. But that was it. But hell, at the time, I, yeah. I, I, you know, it was important. So you just go through Overnight every successes. time, every time, every time you try and do that, mm -hmm. whether or not it's something big. It's always big. That's it's right. honestly always big. I mean, I've always felt that, you know, right. driving to the first meeting for doing your first film mm -hmm. is you don't forget it you don't forget it mm -mm. you know but then driving to the first meeting of a film that then becomes incredibly successful you don't forget that one or or having mm -hmm. the meetings with the filmmaker who then fires you you mm -hmm. don't forget those ones mm -hmm. it's all it's all just steps let's talk all. about that one <laughs> 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 well the laugh is that i always say that i've been i would be fired on every film i do if I didn't rewrite the score every time I do it. Huh. You know, uh, that's the difference between being fired and not being fired. Is, right. Um, and that's where the rubber meets the road, too. That's, yeah. what, that's what separates the boys from the men is the rewrite. So I've written some screenplays, and they're that the writing the first draft is the most enjoyable, thrilling, <laughs> wonderful thing yeah. you could ever do. But the rewrites are like having your nails pulled out. Yeah. But that's the trick is that Hans, I remember Hans saying to me, um, I remember asking him, how can you, how can you bear to do this? You know, you wrote, <laughs> you wrote, I'd sit there after the meeting and, you know, and I'd seen somebody come in and rip apart what was clearly a excellent, Brilliant. excellent mm -hmm. cue. Somebody who knows nothing about yeah, music. Yeah, yeah, but they yeah. knew what about their film. Mm. And so I'm sitting there with Hans. I said, how can you, how can you be so kind of happy with mm -hmm. them about, basically redoing a week of work mm -hmm. and he goes well you don't understand it. i i get to write it again wow and he was genuinely excited no, that wow. he could he could try it again and he could he could figure it out a different way he, he was, looked at the criticism as a gift yes yes very hard to do i think that's a ta that's a, more than a talent that's just a kind of a, uh, a genetic gift yeah 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 <laughs> but but putting yourself in that frame of mind when you collaborate is is actually the key to it. Did you have to learn that? Yes, yeah. I did. I was not good at it. I'd it's collaborated right. in lots of ways, and I was very good at certain types of collaboration, but mm -hmm. then when it came to collaborating in certain, in, in that way that you just don't have any, you don't have respect for the other person's musical understanding, mm -hmm. that proved to be hard. Because mm -hmm. up till then, I'd always kind of collaborated with everybody, you know, was, I was, you know, you'd respect their right. their abilities, their talents. Right, and, and their then, opinions, yeah. Yeah, and then you're looking at it and you're going, well, I really, really think you're wrong. And so the reaction is either stamping your feet and mm -hmm. saying, no, I won't change it because mm -hmm. you're wrong, you're an idiot. Mm -hmm. or, you, or you try and figure out how to fix it in a way that doesn't damage it. Right. Or you throw it away and start again. Right. And it depends on the personality. And you've done of all people. three of those. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. And what yeah. led to you being fired? The, the first? Just um, putting your foot down and saying, no way. Uh, I think the first one I was fired from was, I wasn't even fired, I just wasn't hired. Yeah. And it was, it was a, a film that I wrote a load of tunes for. and on, Like on spec? or Yeah, well, sort like of. A demo? You uh -huh. know, Hans had kind of got me in and, and, and said, look, this guy could do this. Mm-hmm. And so I started to write, and and it wasn't working for the filmmaker, you know. It was actually a producer, and mm -hmm. uh, he, he he wasn't that interested. And and he, he eventually said it's it's uh, it's too f 
it's not masculine enough. Not masculine enough, you know. Oh, okay. And uh, and I think what I took that to be at the time was moronic enough. Uh, and that's the wrong way to think of it. It's and so easy to think that way, though. Yeah. And it, he did want it simpler and less flowery, uh-huh. which are two things that I... I love, which is not being simple and being very flowery. I loved that stuff. Yeah. You know? So it was, I was trying to, I think I was in the middle of trying to find my own voice. Yeah, it was early on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, and the difficulty with that is that you, you work in Hollywood under hands. Everybody wants it to sound like hands. Mm-hmm. So I was pushing away from that mm-hmm. at the time, and it wasn't doing me any good for that gig. Mm-hmm. But I kept pushing, kept pushing just to see, because I, I knew the stuff was good. Mm-hmm. It just wasn't right for that for film. The film. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Right. So I pushed and pushed and pushed, and then they eventually said no. You know. How, how did did that create? Uh, how does Hans deal with that? Because is, was that difficult for you guys? No, no. I don't think so. Hans always respected anybody that kind of pursued something different from what he sounded like. Huh. That's why he and I got on. I think. I see. He doesn't like people just coming along and sounding exactly like him. That's boring to him. Yeah. So having somebody coming along and challenge him, what he does, yeah, and challenge the idea of what a Hollywood movie should sound like, and you can defend your thesis and you can yeah. pa- be passionate about yeah, it, yeah, and you have, yeah. you have not just for the sake of uh, doing that. Yeah. Well, sometimes you can't explain why you want to do that. Mm-hmm. You know? I mean, Hans mm-hmm. and I had so many arguments about trumpets. <laughs> <laughs> he just, he was not a fan of trumpets at all. Like no. the sound of trumpets, or no, how they're writing like, for trumpets. It, it didn't. It didn't really work for him because you know. Remember, this was twenty years ago. Yeah, so, of course. so yeah. you know, I was just watching Crimson Tide the other day, and it's an amazing score. Yeah, it's an amazing score. I mean, uh, no a trumpet in it. You know, and it's no woodwinds or trumpets. You know, but that was kind of the era, and things yeah, just the weren't sti- style you know. too. Yeah. So he was probably questioning me as to whether or not I was sounding too retro. I was sounding to Jerry Goldsmith because I had a load of trumpets or John Williams because I had too many trumpets. I was actually trying to always sound like Esquivel That's or funny. Billy May, yeah. actually, to tell you the truth. Yeah. Billy May Orchestra. Um, and I just love those kind of trumpets or, you know, the trumpets that Ravel uses. Sure. You know, where they're just rhythm instruments almost. Yeah. Uh, and that just didn't fit into what Hans knew would work for a film. Mm-hmm. So he and I would kind of like battle a bit over that. And then, also, I hadn't figured out how to use them right yet in my own style. I wasn't I wasn't using them the right way for the right film. So, you know, another film comes along, and then lo and behold, it will make sense. Yeah. You know, yeah, it's yeah. the right film, it's the right time. Right. It's a different set of filmmakers, perhaps. You know, who haven't heard that right. kind of thing. You know, and and then so each of these little fetishes that I would have had musically, I took me a while to figure out how to how to make work mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know and every film is every score I've done has got them in either to a lesser or greater degree of success right right now when you were with Hans did you know immediately when you started working with him that this was another uh, another stop gap for you because some uh, I, I would imagine that working at remote control in this amazing environment with access to the biggest blockbusters and the it's at the high you know very high yeah. level yeah were you not um, <clears throat> seduced by that, or um, or did you know uh, immediately that you're like, okay, I'm going to learn what I can from Hans, and then we're going to separate? Uh, uh, yes, I mean I've always been a selfish 
in trying to figure out what I need, what mm -hmm. I needed to do for me. Mm -hmm. So I would have been there, but I think I began, I began my experience with hands at Media Ventures, it was then called, mm -hmm. just knowing that there was nowhere else to pick up this information. Right. And also, try. I was always trying to impress him musically, as and a mentor. Yes, as a as a as a, another composer actually uh, uh, as well. You know, yeah, mm. as somebody mm -hmm. who I knew if I could do something crazy enough, he'd see it. Huh. He'd see it, and it didn't need to sound like him. And it was more interesting to him when it didn't sound like him. When you started to kind of a do, th I remember doing a jingle for him. Believe it or not, yeah. there, which I'd sort of sworn I would never do, but. I remember I thought, well, this is an interesting one. I might get a chance to, and it it, it worked for the it worked for the film. It was a Jackie Chan, uh -huh. you know, um, Mountain Dew advert, uh -huh. and it was crazy. It was a crazy advert, and I just went over the top with the music, yeah. and uh, and I definitely got hands to come in the room and look at it and go, hmm. Jesus, what the hell is that? You know, <laughs> and that was that was much more exciting to me than the idea of getting films. Is actually huh. getting him to be in, be to write something that he couldn't write, uh -huh. and he that tell engaged you, him, yeah, yeah, that engaged him, yeah, yeah, and and to to not not f to try something crazy and not fail in front of him, yeah, yeah, yeah. Although I did plenty of times, <laughs> yeah, but he seems to be okay with that, yeah. As long Absolutely, as yeah. As long as you get on and do, do it. it again, yeah fail over and over again but see that's that's done. amazing that's another yeah. part of uh, somebody's personality that's finding those personalities are very difficult especially in our culture where we're programmed to win 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 it's all about winning we yeah. don't really teach our kids and we don't really accept the idea of not winning and i don't even i don't even want to use the word losing but the idea of not winning <laughs> uh is just very antithetical to the american dream the american experience well it depends if Except for our great inventors, of course. And yeah. I mean, I'm just talking about everyday folks are just not prepared uh, for that. I, I've just always seen that the failure, well, at least in, in and the irony is that I, I don't go out because of fear that going out, I will fail. Going out? What do you mean going out? Yeah, I mean, out? going out, you know, walking down the street. Like I to may, really? I may, yeah, I mean, you know, I'm inhibited from doing anything because of fear of, you know, kind of failure at life, as it were. But as soon as you get me in the studio and with music... You're a lion, yeah. I, I kind of... I will happily move towards the fail point with great speed because I know that that edge is where the interesting stuff is. Right. And the worst... What's the worst that happens? You fail. Right. It's like... It's not a... F it doesn't... Failing miserably at writing 25 bars of music is not something that yeah. would give me a second thought. Yeah. Um, but failing at be able to successfully get the barman to see you to get a drink is much more worrying to me. Really? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, that's just... really funny. It's just being a kind of a... Yeah, 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 yeah. Know, so you've really up. chosen the right <laughs> line of work. <laughs> well, it's the, it's the side of things that I... It, it's it's very uh, control freaky. You can you can be all over it all the time. Yeah. And you can make your mistakes yeah. in, in private. And do you ever you feel isolated? I mean, do you feel... Do you get lonely? I mean, I, I know that there are people around, and that's another question. Do you keep do you keep so many people around you partly to have some company? Mm, no, 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 that's <laughs> no, not it. No, no, no. I'm quite happy on my own uh -huh. uh, to a certain extent. The thing I miss is is making music with other people. The collaborative yeah. element. The, the the collaborative when you're playing. I mean, I really 
you know, I, 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 I did enjoy playing. You know, and do I you do ever have a, a group come and just you jam with them? Uh, well, do you do a thing like recently that? We, ha we had the band that I used to be in uh, come and sure. play, you know, and, yeah. uh, and that was great to play again with them. I saw that. Yeah. I mean, I saw how great that was yeah, for, that was for everybody. Yeah. It was fun. And, yeah. I, you know, and that making music is just such a wonderful experience. I mean, you know, I can never believe that people don't automatically want to do it. <laughs> yeah. Do you not seek it out because you don't have the time for it? Um, it feels uh, inorganic t for me to seek it out the wrong way. So I see. Uh, I think. Or is it inauthentic in a way? Yes. Yeah, I understand. Yeah. Whereas, yeah. you know, if it's going to happen, it has to happen for the right reasons. Yeah. And then it feels okay. Because I'm not a good player. So I know that I'm in certain circumstances. You know, I could hire a bunch of. I understand. Guys to come and. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Now you're like you know. Malcolm Forbes. Uh, having, yeah, I understand. Yeah, yeah you know, sure. So I have to be careful about that. It's. Um, but, you know, if I, the other four or five years ago, I thought, oh, maybe I'll go back to playing the viola and I'll, I'll try and find. And I found a few people who were who were not pro players, you mm -hmm. know, and we thought about sort of like playing some quartets together. Yeah. <laughs> and I got the viola out and I realized it's just it's impossible. <laughs> it's just <laughs> not good. It's <laughs> not good. It's not good. My ear is too attuned now to to good tuning, to absolute tuning. Yeah. yeah to mm -hmm. be able to put up with it myself. Really? Ever, yeah, Do you I have perfect pitch? No, but no. Uh, you know, but I, over the years you kind of get very, very sharp kind of to it. Sharp, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. And and also, mm -hmm. you know, I guess thirty years I've been using sounds that are all perfectly in tune. It's very, right. very hard to kind of hear myself right. playing so badly. <laughs> you right. Know? And and all the great musicians I've worked with, you know, I it's very hard to to have you know written a solo for you know the first viola in the orchestra here. Yeah. And hear him play it, and then pick up the viola, and then try and play something even very simple. Yeah, and realize that you know the fingers just don't go down the right so, place. And yeah, so you have one of two choices: you can, you either have to let that go, or you have to devote five hours a day to yes. practicing viola. Yeah, yeah, and neither seem to be realistic. No, because I <laughs> I still have the ADD. So. Yeah, 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 yeah. So tell me about that moment when did, did there come a moment when you knew you were going to be leaving Hans? Um. Before no. that process started, or was it a mutual no. decision? It was. A, it was a. It was probably one of those things where it's a. It was a. Was it like a teenager leaving home? Yes, it was, and I was doing. I did it. Uh -huh. I didn't do it very elegantly. Okay. I think I could have done it much better now, and I've. Uh, I've. I've talked to a couple of other guys who have left, before they left, and I hope I've helped them leave more elegantly. Uh, and keep their relationship. I mean, thankfully, because of Hans, I I didn't lose my relationship. But it was certainly, you reconciled. Yeah, I yeah. got banned from DreamWorks for a while. As as, as what were the circumstances? What? How well, did I was that just go being down? a dick. Uh huh. I was just being a dick, and uh, I'm not really like a prima donna. Or? Yes. Uh -huh. Yeah. There was a moment when Jeffrey Katzenberg said to me, "If you want to behave like that, you should go to New York and join the New York Ballet." Fuck. And he was right. He was right. And we joked about it um, a while back when when he, he he described me as having been put on the bench for a while because oh, I was after Shrek I was put on the bench. Yeah, that's why I didn't do Shrek two and Shrek yeah. three. Well, they didn't need me, eh? Because Harry could do it extremely yeah. well. But um, but also it just I think it was a reaction. Yeah, and I was just I was trying to get out from under this shadow of hands. Did but did uh, that must have knocked you off your feet a little bit? 
psychologically. No, no, no. no it, it, it. You stuck to your guns. Yeah, emotionally. I mean, it's it's painful because you you know you don't want to be in conflict with anybody, and I I, yeah. I didn't like being conflict. You know, and Hans had a stern talking to me, and and he was right. Yeah. But I had to do it, and I just had done it. I did it badly. It was not that the idea was wrong. It was right. just the execution, the execution was badly. Sure. So if you then go a year later and look at Bourne, mm -hmm. the first Bourne movie, mm -hmm. it is the way it is because I was deliberately trying not to sound like Hans. And that was really the, that was really the intersection for you where you took a different turn and your yeah. career has been going down that yeah. way because of Bourne. Yeah. Well, the thing was that, I, the irony of it was that... Um, oh, well, didn't you replace a composer for that yes, film? Yes, but, but, you know... It it was a complicated film to do, and it was and uh -huh. it was in turmoil uh, just to try and find any any. You mean dramatically or everything, uh, everything you know? Uh, trying to find how to do that movie is uh, it any movie that's kind of different. Yeah, it's very hard. It just doesn't fo follow the formula. Right. I mean, Doug was trying to make the first Bond movie like an indie Bond. Yeah, that's right. what he was trying to make. I right. think you know, um, he's always got this kind of amazing ability to be able to try and find a he's looking for a a niche mm -hmm. for something that will interest him mm -hmm. and that interested him he'd seen lots of bomb movies yeah he liked in a, them, in a genre that's yeah. been really really yeah. but he didn't want to make that bear. yeah mm -hmm. he wanted to make something different mm -hmm. and so he came along and he'd had a score and he had you know all the kind of the you know issues of trying to get the film to work as well as possible as they searched for this unusual tone to mm -hmm. it and he heard some stuff of mine and called me up and, and we talked and he had no idea I'd work with Hans because he, he didn't want this, uh, he didn't want it to uh, sound and we never even discussed that kind of sound mm -hmm. he was just talked on the phone he was getting in and out of taxis in New York while whilst talking to me and I just realised that he just wanted me to experiment play and see if we could find something else huh. for him and so I did that's all I did. And I, so every decision I made was, what am I interested in? What music am I interested in that uh, doesn't often get in these kind of films? What would I have normally done if we'd been doing it, you know, at Media Ventures? Mm -hmm. And and you'd kind of work away from some things and towards other things. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I didn't, and they'd spent a load of budget already, so they didn't have much money left, so mm -hmm. I couldn't have a big orchestra. And they didn't want an orchestra. It didn't need an orchestra anyway because... They'd done. They tried that, right? And that was one of the things about the previous score was that it was uh, more orchestral than it. Did that constraint uh, help your composition? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it helped it find at least. You have to distill whatever you're doing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, you know, and even if I did have strings, I didn't want them to sound big. Mm -hmm. I wanted them to sound small and in your face. I mm -hmm. wanted it to sound like an you know an indie film, but but drive as hard as any big action film ever did. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm not quite sure, I, I mean, I can say these things now. At the time, I didn't know really what I was looking for. All mm -hmm. I was looking for was different, and that's all Doug was looking for. Mm -hmm. So you just work away from something, mm -hmm. and you just, and I was inspired by the film, I, and Matt Damon's performance was just spot on. It was yeah. absolutely there. So you, yeah. if anything, it, it comes from an inquisitive director who's willing to let you play, mm -hmm. and an actor who's nailed the character, mm -hmm. And even as the film was still solidifying its its tone, mm -hmm. I was playing with the director, and bit by bit we started, we we came across bits that he liked and mm -hmm. seemed to work and mm -hmm. seemed to fit, and then you build it up, 
and then it uh, even right to the last minute it was uh, very very hard i mm -hmm. had to go in and recut all the music change a lot of things on the dub stage mm -hmm. that's when i learned pro tools <laughs> right right <laughs> you know and uh, it, but it, it it worked out it worked out and um, at the time you don't know it's going to work out you're mm -hmm. just trying to make something and mm -hmm. lo and behold it works well enough and you connected with this director as a person and you had similar yes. ideas and goals yes in in the in the sense so that it's that not personal that way when you have to chop things up it's, no it's reasonable no, yeah. no it, it, it's collaborative you've got you've got to join the director in the madness mm -hmm. i think mm -hmm. the madness is that we're gonna we're gonna search for something mm -hmm. and you know if you want to come on the search fine if you think you know you found it because it's new mm -hmm. That can be a that can be a conversation. If you think you know how to do it because that's how you've always done it and that's how everyone else does it, yeah, you're not really searching, are you? Yeah, you're not helping us look. So that's no help to the director. Now, have you ever been beholden to producers and directors that are on that tack that don't that have a particular way? Oh yeah. And then <laughs> uh, how do you first of all how do you deal with that? And then how does that affect? I would imagine knowing you, knowing you the way that I know you, I. I would imagine that the answer is that you would use that as a challenge to do the very best work in such a way as to say, you know what, even even your ineptitude is not going to prevent me from making a great score. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, the, the thing I've, I've often said is, uh, you know, great scores have come about because of directors, and they've come about despite directors. Uh -huh. uh, and the despite is... There's many examples of that. Hans has done that mm -hmm. many times. There's, mm -hmm. there's been people involved in certain films where they've given him such shit about what becomes something, what will later become something that they take all kind of credit yeah, for. Yeah, and is iconic. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. And so the trick is to, is to, I don't know. It's just to find, find a voice for the film. Yeah, you know, and something that seems to stick. Yeah, and you can tell when things aren't sticking. They're just kind of they, they, you put them on and they just slowly slide off. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes you can see it quicker than other times, and other times you have to accept that it's it's just not the right thing. That's and right. You, my, I might be the last person to know. Now you're still. Uh, when we started really working together, it was for the uh, piece you wrote for Moltke for World War One. Well, it was Happy Feet too, actually. You well, were very, yeah, you were a very small penguin. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I, I don't feel like <laughs> that was that. I mean, you were still. I don't know. Had you started the Moltke then? Yeah, oh, no, you hadn't. No, no, no. I mean, I'd been thinking about it for a long time, but I hadn't started really yeah. anything until the beginning of this uh, last year. Yeah, 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 yeah. And now it seems like you're back in into film. Um. Having yeah. had a conversation about you wanting to slow down with film composition and moving more towards classical, classical. Composition. Well, yeah, but that hasn't changed. I mean, I, 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 I just, I, I'm just having to re. I want. I need to refigure out. In the same way that I needed to search for my own voice in film, I need to search for my own voice in in uh, in the classical world mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. So I've got a publishing deal that's going to happen mm -hmm. soon and with mm -hmm. a classical publisher and mm -hmm. uh and we're going to try and i don't know i'm going to try and write uh, i've got a couple of pieces for next year to write and i've got classical uh, pieces yeah. or film yeah classical pieces. okay so you're still on oh that yeah trajectory. Very much. I mean, i've only got one film a year at the moment 
I see. And, uh, okay. So I'm not, I'm not going back into a load of films. I mean, if something's really interesting, of course, you know, you never know. But um, yeah, on the whole, I've I've got uh, Ferdinand the Bull, yeah, which is a lovely story. It's a nice pacifist anti-bullfighting story. Yeah, that's right. Couldn't imagine it. It's set in Spain. I mean, what more fun could you have? Yeah. Um, and that's with Carlos Saldana, who's who's a wonderful person to mm -hmm. work with. Uh, and then Dragons 3, which will be 2018. Nice. Uh, with Dean and Bonnie and yeah, everybody yeah. from that. That'll be wonderful. Although I'll miss Jeffrey. He, you know, he's, he's, he's gone now. So Do you keep in touch? Um, you know, I, I, I'm constructing an email to him <laughs> right now, which is to, you know, to say all the things. Draft. Yeah, I am. Because <laughs> it's, hard, it's a hard, hard to write that email because sure. yeah, he's meant an awful lot to me. Yeah. <laughs> really and did, are you, I mean, did you... You recovered from that spat uh, oh, in yes, the past. Yes. So, no, so you, you're Jeffrey's brilliant. He's he's the most faithful the friend person. Yeah, yeah. That you could ever have. He, if you're talented and he thinks you're helping his film, he'll he'll put up with anything. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. And he kindly has always thought that I think of me. So, and I think Dragons was the way it was because I was really trying to. That was the first film I'd ever done for Jeffrey where I was on my own. That's and was he somebody thing. else you needed to impress, like you totally. used to for Hans? Oh yeah, absolutely. He I mean, again, if you really want to be kind of um, be psych a psychiatrist yes. about this, is yes, I was. I have been trying to impress my father yes. ever since he died when I was fifteen. Yes, and Hans and you were is my and you were father. close. Yeah. You and your father were close. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's a wonderful man. Yeah, so. I feel that way about my grandfather. I, I I have a very similar story. I lost him when I was fourteen, right. and I, I I look for that too, actually. Sure. You I mean, know. who else can you? constantly try and impress other than the person you can never that's right speak to again that's right especially <laughs> if you don't have uh, a man in the sky to do it to you yeah, need exactly. to look to actual people yeah yeah, yeah that's true is, yeah so so you know so after 50 some odd films you really are you're really going into the next phase of your compositional life with classical music yes i i have to i have to pursue that because that is that is it's essential to to stop me from being a boring composer. I mean, I really have to find a, a new voice. And obviously the way that I work within film is, is very hard to kind of change yeah. too much because people would be, yeah, yeah. you know, if, if somebody Unless has the right a film, project comes along yeah, with the right vision. Film, yeah. mm -hmm. And I mean, part of me thinks I should like, I should take another pseudonym and see if people would hire me and I can mm -hmm. do crazy scores for them, them not thinking it would be me. But mm -hmm. um, when you're expected to do you know a certain type of score for a certain type of film and that's what everyone wants that's right it's hard to break that habit because it's part of the industry you know? right they, they don't want you just suddenly coming up all weird on them right right and there's probably some and it does take the collaboration it has takes a huge machine to kind of turn yeah. that paradigm a little bit yeah you know yeah, it would it would do and uh, so i think i'm going to try and do it more in the classical world first of all wow. just pieces that aren't for film and see if i can find a more interesting voice and is it mo mostly vocal music that you're focused on? No, not really, but uh -huh. it just happens to come that way. <laughs> yeah. I don't know why. I do love voices. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, and having, you know, got to know Eric as well, so I'm, I'm doing a piece yeah, for him. Yeah, lots of things are, are conspiring to help yeah. you. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. For and sure. It, it's fascinating knowing, uh, learning, starting at the beginning again with, a, with that world. It must be really exciting. Oh, yeah. It's exciting, and it's been frustrating and sure. interesting and sure and we know those stories yeah, yeah absolutely yeah story for another time <laughs> do you have anything else what else what else do we have uh what else do we have yeah um, I, we covered a lot of ground today we did yeah it's probably been a bit boring no i don't think sure? so 
I, I love talking to you. I don't yeah, care what yeah, it's all about me. <laughs> I come to have a chat <laughs> with my friends. This is what I like. <laughs> I'm very happy to get out of the house and uh, come do this. All right. Now, I do have a couple of questions. I email, I texted Eric Whitaker, yeah. I texted Jeff Beal, and I texted Kave Cohen about um, what I should ask you on their behalf. Kaveh says, uh, <clears throat> so I said, uh, hey, fellas, I'm meeting with John Powell tomorrow for the podcast. Any burning questions you'd like me to ask him on your behalf? So he says, yes, where's the talent fountain and how much can I drink before there's a charge? Okay, so there's one. Uh, also ask him why he wants me to feel so bad about myself when I listen to his work. So that probably doesn't need a response. Eric said LOL to that. He liked that. Now, Jeff Beal says uh, Brexit and the UK's option of current U.S. politics should give you guys plenty to talk about. What do you think about Brexit? You know, it's unfair for me to say because I've not been there for 20 years. You don't have any voting privilege there anymore? No. No. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's unfair, and I think I I can't really speak to it. Yeah. Do you think it's going to turn out well or turn out badly? uh, I think any country that has smart people, uh, industrious people, people that care will figure out how to make it work um i don't it doesn't strike me that that uh, you know great britain is 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 you know is just a mindless bunch of idiots they can be obviously they can be any you know there's yeah. plenty of people there who are yeah um i think they i think they're going to lose scotland yeah how about wales um uh, wales will i don't know about wales yeah uh, and obviously ireland should be long know, ago yeah. yes mm-hmm. that's ridiculous mm-hmm. Um, I mean, what the hell is that about? Yeah. You know, I mean, I know what it's about, but um, uh, that's that's incredible that you yeah. Know, yeah, 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 yeah. S- they still have this little bit, but I, you know, okay. Uh, yeah, so, so yeah, so Brexit. I think if the British are, have, have always prided themselves on sort of like you bomb them, they'll make a song up yeah they'll set up a table and have some tea yeah well it's Mm -hmm. it's Mm -hmm. just you know trying to find the this the best part of you in in out of the strongest uh, most noble uh, most noble Uh, sort uh, of mm -hmm. reasons and Mm -hmm. so if brexit goes horribly wrong it will be because um nobody is taking it seriously i mean uh, and i think they were shocked so i think they are ramifications i think they are taking it very seriously so i think i'm hoping that it will they'll figure some things out i mean it, it can be it, it could be a madness again i love the idea of a, a uni- united europe mm-hmm. i also hate the idea of bureaucracy mm-hmm. i mean i don't see why you have to be for bureaucracy because you like a you know that's right the united states of europe which is basically what exactly. a good thing would be about yes um i mean britain has always been kind of very you know <laughs> we, we, you know this whole Europe thing is—it's it's always been a little bit kind of well. We're yeah, not, yeah, yeah. We're know, still—we've got a sea between us, you know. Yeah. So they've—they've they've never really been all the way in. Mm-hmm. They've mm-hmm. always just been kind of like mm-hmm. putting mm-hmm. the tip in, you know. Mm-hmm. Isn't it? So, <laughs> um, you know, prom- yeah. promising lots of things, and maybe it—it was—it was that moment when they either had to kind of—I um, don't know—propose, yeah, yeah mm-hmm. they had to propose or. Or, you know, it was time for Europe to have a baby. Right, right. And uh, if if they didn't want to commit, they didn't want to commit. So yeah, but yeah, yeah, we'll see. 
And Jeff Beal also says, uh, are you writing more concert works? The answer is yes. Yeah. And he personally says he loves that you did that oratorio. Oh, that's very kind of you. <laughs> and I hope, you know, I've said it before. I'm going to say it on air now. We all need to get together. I would love for yes. you to sit down yes, with Jeff. Know, He's such a gentle, kind person. Cave yeah. is too. Yeah. Eric, you already know. We will. We will. We will. I've, yeah, it's been... You know, my natural instinct to um, run into the toilet and lock the door <laughs> is, uh, is, 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 has been overwhelming me a little bit recently. Obviously. I understand. And, yeah, of course. Um, you of know, course. I will eventually come out. Of I'll come out of the toilet and see the light. Well, you so know me. I, uh, I am the master of uh, cruelly accepting casual invitations. So if you give me just a little, <laughs> just a little crack, I'll, I'll, keep, uh, sure. I'll keep drilling away. That's, that's the wonderful thing. John, I really... I adore you. I'm so glad that you decided to be on the show. I love this conversation. I love every conversation I have with you. It was a real treat for me to come to your beautiful place and sit down and you know, have, have a nice chat. I want to thank you. Thank you. And uh, to those of you who think I've overshared, you're probably right. <laughs> and it's still in record. That's right. <laughs> That's the terrible moment you get to the end of the interview. And you and suddenly realize 20 minutes ago, it, you, know, you ran out of disk space. <laughs> Uh, are you in control of it? I am, if you want okay. to. Shall I turn it off then? Thanks, John. Well, there you have it, folks. Composer John Powell. I want to thank my eloquent and magnanimous friend for spending so much time with me. It was great catching up with you, John. Thank you for the big favor. I really appreciate it, buddy. Also, I want to thank Gregory Geiger for helping me with my great theme song. I'm still loving it. Why don't you go to laclassical.com and check them out. I want to thank you all for listening, too. I, uh, I get so many emails and support and shout-outs and suggestions. I really appreciate it. It makes me feel great. I love what I'm doing, and I'm, I'm glad you like it, too. So, thanks again. Really thanks for listening. Like until dance. next time. You like long walks and you wear clean pants. Genius. Get on to my show. Genius.